0: Life's lessons are wonderful. And we should never forget what God teaches us along the journey. And that's what God does. He teaches us along the journey. And he just doesn't take us on a journey just that we might be lost. No. He takes us on a journey that we might discover him. And his real love for us. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you. For the things that we've heard this morning. The songs that we were able to sing this morning. And the songs that were able to minister to our hearts. And Lord, we just want to give you praise. Because Lord, you are a faithful God to us. You're the one who continues to work in our lives and through our lives for your namesake and for your glory. And Lord, we want to say thank you. May you continue to just work in the life of Akron Lions Fellowship. It's not about us, Lord. It's all about you. And we want to give you all the glory and all the praise for the work that you are yet doing and performing in this church. And Lord, may we learn to follow you and yield to you. not about numbers, not about how big we can grow. It's about our faithfulness to you, that we be faithful. For your word says, when you come, will you find any who are faithful? Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us not to lose heart, help us not to faint while we're on this journey, but help us, Lord, to run this race and have a desire to finish this race well. And Lord, may you just show us the manner in which you would have us to minister. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Two ministries. Church and salvation, when you're in the church and you are really saved, there's a desire to do ministry. Why? Because you're fulfilling what God has called you to do. It's not about what kind of shape you're in. It's not about, oh, my life is all messed up. It's not about you. It's when you start ministering, life really begins to straighten out. When you start ministering, You start disciplining yourself. When you start performing and doing what the Word of God says, and that's why I said, you can't grow without the Word. You can't grow being in the Word. You can't really understand what God is about until you get into the Word. And all of us have two ministries. And sometimes we struggle with those two ministries. And sometimes we don't even identify them. But everything will only fall within those two ministries that you have. The first ministry is basically your disciples or your family. Let's call them the church. That's where you basically find yourself ministering. A lot right to your family. The second ministry is your community, which is important. And most of the time we just get stuck just in the family ministry, but never over in community ministry. And yet, what we're going to see as we go through this a little bit is Jesus is doing both. It's important to recognize that ministry should not be thought of as a driven by impact. Oftentimes, you'll hear people say, "What kind of impact are we have? What kind of impact?" Driven should ministry is not driven by impact. Should not be. Should not be driven by numbers. How many numbers you got? How big is this? How big is that? Ministry should not be driven by numbers issue. Nor should be driven by success. Oh I'm successful. I'm successful because of ministry should never be measured by your successes. Ministry only has one thing that drives it, that pushes it, that causes a desire in one's heart. And that is obedience to God. Obedience to God. And you're the only one who can answer that question. Are you being obedient to God? See, it's easy to be obedient to self. Because self is always seeking to please who? Self. But the obedience to God. Do you realize sometimes Pastor Brown is doing things that Pastor Brown really don't in a sense want to do in the beginning. But by time I'm in it and through it, I'm rejoicing because of what I see God doing. But in the very beginning, I didn't want to do this. But the thing is, this here, you discover that obedience to God reveals your faithfulness to Him. Not the outcome of something, not how many, not how successful. Your faithfulness is demonstrated. In your obedience to God, no matter how it turns out. If I was to take Jesus Christ, Jesus was a failure. If I only go by numbers, Jesus was a failure. Because Jesus, in the beginning, had the crowds, Jesus had this many around him. But as he went to the cross, who was there? they abandoned, they left. All of us who name the name of Jesus is following for many different reasons. Sometimes we follow him just for the meat that we can have, just for what blessings we can receive rather than following him through a relationship. Through a relationship. And what often happens is that We lose the obedience along the way. That, am I obedient to God? Obedient to Him. And that's all that really matters. Go with me to John chapter 4. Because we're going to just look at Jesus here just for a moment. And in verse 34, Jesus makes this statement. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My food, the the, the thing that really energizes me is the work of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Does that energize you? Does that excite you? Does, Does that cause you to want to get in there? And really see what God's going to do. And Jesus says, My food, and just think of food for a moment, because food is something that what? Nourishes you. Does the work of the Lord nourish you? And you are nourished, and you are equipped by the Holy Spirit. When you are doing the work and you're laboring for the Lord. Somehow He just pours into you. And you're rejuvenated. And you discover strength that you never had. And you watch Him do something through you that is amazing. The reason a lot of people never see God work in their lives because they never really get involved in the things of God. When you want to see God work in your life, get involved in the things of God. Now, how does he say that in Scripture? That if you will exchange the burdens, that if you'll take on my work, I'll take on your work. If your work is on your children, then do the work of God and let God work on your children. If your, if your work is on your husband, exchange that. You do the work of God, let God take care of the husband. If your work, whatever it is, exchange it with the Lord. And watch God do it. Watch God do it. Most of the time in life, what we're doing is complaining rather than being busy. And complaints don't change much of anything. You know? And the issue really comes down that he says, my goal or my desire or that which excites me is doing the work of God. Now, Over in 536, he says it in this way. He says, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish, and which I am doing. Catch that word doing first. And look what the doing does. It testifies that the Father has sent me. The work you do the ministry you perform, it testifies that God is using you. Is using you by the work, by the ministry that you perform. And if you're doing nothing, you have no testimony. You have no evidence that God is using you. You really have no evidence that you're really born again. But when God is using you, and you are working, and the ministry is flowing through you in a sense, it testifies that God has equipped you, God has sent you, God is working in your life. That God is doing something. God is doing something. For many a people, God is simply dead. It's a dead end religion. But I want you to know something. My Lord is alive and active and working in those who are willing to carry out His work and do His will. And he says, boy, the very ministry I do Testifies that God has sent me or God is using me. God is working through me. God is doing something. The ministry testifies that I am being used by God. He he goes on in John 638, he says, Your will or God's will, in a sense. Because over in 638, he comes down and he says in this manner. He says, for I have come down from heaven. Let me tie that in with being born from above. When you are truly born from above, not just born on this earthly plane, but when you've been born from above, in a sense, you are transformed and you are different. And because you've been transformed and you are different, you no longer see on an earthly plane. You begin to see from a heavenly position. And what takes place is this. No longer is it about my will from an earthly plane, but it really is about God's will from a heavenly position, from a heavenly plan. And therefore, he simply says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. To do the will of him who has sent me. So we got to go back and ask the question, am I being sent? If you're being sent, you got to go back to the next question. Have I been called? And if you have not been called, you cannot have been sent. But if you've been called, then you are being prepared to be sent, to be sent out. God is not preparing you to come into a church and just learn how to sit. He's not preparing you to just come into the church and listen to a good sermon. God is preparing you to learn how to surrender your will to his will, that his will might be carried out. Not so much in the church, that's one ministry, but also out here in the community, the second community. You're learning to work church, community. Those are the two major ministries in all of our lives. Ministry involves that area of surrender. Surrender. And a lot of us don't get into ministry because it's exactly that. Surrendering my will to God's will. I had to do that. As a young man working at Chrysler and doing very well, I made good money. To work in skilled trade at Chrysler. Had my journeyman's license. My goal was to start my own business in heating and air conditioning. You heard that. But God had a different plan for me. My goal was to be retired by 50. And I'm past that and still with it. (laughs) Because, see, I had a will and I had a track that I was running on. And then God called one day, took me from Chrysler down to Tacoma Falls. And see, I never planned to come back to Akron. That was never in my sight. My plan was going to go to California. I told him, we're going to California because I want to minister around the military base where I was at in California. And God brought us back here. My plan was never to be at this church this long. But my plan was to pastor at least four to five churches in my prayer journal. When I go back sometime, I laugh at it. Because I'm telling the Lord, Lord, i like to do this many years here, and i like to pastor at least four to five churches in my lifetime, and i like to do this. What was I writing about? My what? My will. My will. And I had to learn how to surrender my will to His will. In order to be able to do the ministry that He wants to do. And He's doing that through each and every one of us. He's doing that. Because to do ministry, you cannot do it in the power of your own will. It has to be evident that somewhere this is God's will, and God's working, and God is doing, and God is opening the door, and God is making the way, and God is giving the people, God is doing it. That somehow painted over that whole thing is God at work. God at work. Now, how many of you rather attempt to do something and fail? Sound familiar? Now understand something. There's nothing wrong with failure. Failure says, I'm learning. (laughs) If I go back at it again, I'm learning. And I go back at it again, and I'm learning. And you keep going at it, and you learn, and you learn, and you learn. See, the way they used to teach about furnace work, and we had to learn it from Williamson, is that you had to start... And put that whole furnace together. You had to start with the base, put up the sidewalls, put in the heat exchanger. Then you had to come in and you had to wire it. You had to put your temperature control on there. You had to put your gas valve on there and so forth. You had to put the whole thing together. It didn't come together in one package like it is today. You had to learn everything about that furnace and put it together. So when you went into people's homes, you put that furnace together, that old Williamson and that old sentry. And sometimes you had to call for help. Especially being someone new in it. Because sometimes what was put together that you're putting in and following the direction, they just didn't go together. (laughs) Failure is the opportunity to learn. Failure should not knock down your confidence. It ought to say, I'm going to do this thing again. This is not going to get the best of me. I'm going to what? Get the best of it. And we keep going back. We keep going back at it. I'd rather fail attempting to achieve something than to attempt to do nothing and succeed at it. And a lot of us do that. We attempt to do nothing. And we're satisfied with it. And that's what's wrong. You should never be satisfied with attempting nothing. But that you are a person who serves a mighty God. And if you serve this mighty God, and you serve this big God that we brag about and talk about, You should be able to step out in faith and trust him and believe him that you're going to achieve. That doesn't mean there won't be some failures along the way. Because those are your learning time. But God says the victory is yours. How many of you believe that? That the victory is really yours. But you've got to be willing to stay with it. Stay with it. Doing something and failing, you learn. Doing nothing, you learn nothing. And failure allows you to do it again. And again. And again. Until you master it. Your ministry matters, yes. Because it reveals your faithfulness to God. It reveals your obedience to God. While the results are yet left in God's hands. I wish sometime when we start something that I could say, yes, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, and I know what the outcome is going to be. But that's not the case. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. These men, they labored by faith. And they trusted God. And when you get into ministry, you're trusting God. I hate it when I hear, boy, I have this many people in my church. And then the next thing that follows is that I have this many tithers. Well, tithers, what you're doing with tithers, you're adding up what your budget is to be, <laughs> in a sense. It's not too hard to understand if a person is a teacher... If a person is working at Chrysler or a rubber company or if somebody's working out in construction with a large construction company, you could almost go down the paper and write out that person's yearly salary. And you can figure out that 10% process. See, the thing is this here. In ministry, you trust God, not the numbers that you see. You trust God to provide. You trust God to touch the hearts. You trust God to somehow provide. You're trusting God. So in 1 Corinthians 3, in verse 5, it says, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Two great preachers, yes. But the reality is, the question is, what are they? Nothing but Servants. When you're in ministry, you have to see yourself as nothing but a servant. A pastor is nothing but a servant. He's not some glorified individual. He is nothing but a servant just like you. That's all he is. He's a worker just like you who earns his pay. That's all. Nothing's really special about him. I know men who are not in the pastorate who can do a much better job up here than I can, who know this word in and out much better than I do. The difference is, it's not what they've been called to, they've been called to do something else. And we've all been called to do something. And I like what Walter said, if you missed it, I wanted to bring it back to your help. I thank God that he uses our gift of helps. Because very seldom you ever hear anybody talk about the gift of what? Helps. Why? It's more of a servant role than it is one of the ministerial areas or executive type areas where people are gifted in. But Walter is saying, me and Pearl, we're helping people we're helping people, we're using our gift of helps. Not our gift of administration. Not our gift of tongues. Not our gift of prophecy. And you can go right on, but this little gift in Romans that is mentioned that you very, very, very seldom hear the gift of helps. We're using that in our ministry. And said, who are they? Who's Apollos? Who's Paul? Only servants. Through whom you can came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. Catch that. The Lord has what? The Lord has assigned. The Lord has placed you where he wants you to be at in order to carry out the work of ministry he desires you to perform. If you chose it, you're in the wrong area. If you yielded to God's will, you're in the right area. And he says, to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it what? Yeah. In ministry, you got to believe God's going to make it grow. You got to believe God's going to give the increase. That, That God is involved in it. And you have to see the evidence of that process that goes on. Ministry has a starting place and must be defined. Ministry has a starting place and it must be defined. Jesus is starting with his own people. Let's go to Matthew fifteen twenty-four Because he's telling this Canaanite woman even that the whole process is that, boy, I'm only to minister to the house of Israel. And and the whole process is that they're kind of like sometimes missing it. So in 15, Matthew 15, verse 24, it says, Jesus, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, that was the starting point. Now, understand something about ministry. There's always a starting point. But your starting point is not your ending point. Your starting point is not your ending point. And from that place of starting, we see Jesus begin to expand. And his disciples expand. And a lot of times people will use that verse, but they forget He's speaking to a Canaanite woman, but yet he ministers to her. And we see Jesus ministering to other Gentiles, which we're going to look at. But the whole process is that it starts where? With them. With them. Now, go over to Matthew 10. And we're going to talk just for a few more of why is it stated this way. And I want to just give you some little insight into it. Because in 10, 5, and 6, He's going to send His disciples out. He's teaching them. That's His first ministry. Get these men. Teach them. And He's going to send them out. And He spends time with them. He teaches them to pray. He spends special little moments with them. Just before the Beatitude. And the whole part that, where He's teaching them and so forth. So, in this 10... You're going to discover these verses in 5 and 6. He said, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. So, process. he's teaching these disciples. And I want to make a difference here. He's teaching the disciples, which I will again call his church or family at this time in a sense. But then he also teaches in the synagogue to the whole community. But his focus also stays on his disciples. But he doesn't lose sight of his community. Now, he goes on, he says, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, why is that? Why is that? Why would he give him such instructions when the gospel itself is meant for the whole world? Why is it? Why don't you think of the Jewish mind for a moment? These are Jewish men. He sends them first to his own, to their own. Why? Why? Hopefully, their own would be more acceptable to them than some stranger. Because Gentiles was seen as what? Yeah. You know. That's the whole process. And he's building their confidence because he's sending them to their own where hopefully, here's these relationships that are always that's already established and they're going to learn how to use this gospel they're going to see the power of this gospel he doesn't send them in the starting point right out to the Gentiles or the Samaritans how did they see the Samaritans and Samaritans were half-breed using somebody else and he said, Don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritan, because he recognized they were going to have a fight there. So he doesn't send them there. He sends them to his own people first. Because they're not going to be seen as an enemy. And that they are now testing this gospel. To see if it works. To see the power of it. To understand it. And the thing is, he says, don't go over here yet. Why? You're not ready for that. Understand that's how he used us in ministry. He'll have you ministering here, but you want to go over there, and he says here, why? Because you're not ready for that yet. But don't think he's not preparing you for that. In Acts 8 let let's go to it. In Acts 1.8, he simply begins to share with us, I think, the stepping stones for ministry. Because it takes us from one place to another place to another place to another place. To another place. But you also have to take and look at the surroundings of Jerusalem. He says in eight, he simply says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem first. Exactly where they are at, in a sense. In Jerusalem first, you're going to be my witnesses. You know the hardest place to witness at? Is at home. That is the hardest place to witness. Is at home. Why? Because people at home see you for who you are. (laughs) People really see you at home. They see the fakeness. They see the fronts that you put on or they see the genuineness they see the heart that's really running after the Lord they see the real desire to please God and the hardest place to witness is right at home because when you're ready to say something at home the thing that battles the most is your mistakes that come and the first thing that's thrown up at you is what? the mistakes that you've made. And that makes it hard to minister at home because people see the real person in that home. You can't hide in that home. They really know you and who you really are. But boy, when you are to witness in your Jerusalem with your family that's tough ministry. That's tough ministry. That really disciplines you. Because when you slip, <laughs> they got it. Hey. But when they see you trying over and over, and they see you confessing your faults and your sins. To a heavenly father. And they see you being strengthened. Because in your home. They know your weaknesses. But they also see where God strengthens you. They see the change that takes place. Quicker than anybody else. In the house. And he says boy. Start in Jerusalem. Then you go on over to Judea. Because, see, Judea is your neighbors. Judea is your co-workers. Judea are people around you who know you and your friends and so forth. That's your Judea. And you're ministering to them. They don't know you as well as your Jerusalem does, but they know you. You're working with them every day. They're seeing you every day. Somehow you're rubbing shoulders every day. And God says you're going to be a witness to these individuals that you're working with, your neighbor, those friends around you. You're going to be a witness to them. That's your Judea. And then he says, we're going to take another step out. You're going to minister to those Samaritans. People who are not like you. People who may look different than you. Even those who you may see or count as your enemies. You're going to minister to them. Now understand this very clearly about an enemy. You don't want to hold them as an enemy, but they will hold you as an enemy, and you need to know how then to counter your enemy. When I first hired in at Chrysler, the foreman who the general foreman who interviewed me told me I was not qualified. I'll never forget his name, Howard Beck. He said, You're not qualified. Now understand this. I got four years of apprenticeship. I got years out in the construction field. I got state papers. And you're going to tell me I'm not qualified? To do the little stuff y'all do in Chrysler is nothing like starting with a building from the ground up and having to to put everything together in the heating, the air, the fresh air, and handling those big air movers and just to cycle the air within the building. That was... Chrysler don't compare. I made up guards... At Chrysler, that the engineer had to come down and copy it in order for us to put it on. Because when a man's at a line and he's putting it in, and you gotta, OSHA came along and said, You gotta have a safety guard, you don't want to stop the progress of that man working. Chrysler still wants that metal to go in that machine as quick as possible. And you gotta, yet, Have that guard where it works and does not slow that man down from doing his work. So I accept it. I don't qualify. I just went back to Local 70 and just went out to work where I was already working. Then I got a call from Chrysler. And the gentleman simply said to me, Mr. Brown are you willing to work for Chrysler? And I said, yes. But I was told I was not qualified. And he was calling me from Labor Relations the head of Labor Relations. And he said, would you come up and talk to me? And I did. And he said to me in that meeting, he said, I want you to know Chrysler is not prejudiced. And then he told me, he said, I'm willing to hire you, but I'm going to share this with you. If you get in a fight for any reason, I'm going to fire you. No matter what it is, I'm going to fire you. Okay, if that's your rules. So the next day when I reported on the job, guess who I had to report to? Howard Beck. General Foreman on first ship. And he put me with a guy by the name of Guy Coleman who he knew didn't like black folks. So as Guy Guy and I was walking down the aisle, Guy tells me, I don't work with no niggers. I said, I don't either. (laughs) But I want you to see what God does. If I would have took Guy as an enemy, I would have never had the opportunity to really witness to him. And just help share Christ. And Guy, I had the privilege of seeing him come to the Lord. And when I went to Guy's funeral, his wife just hugged me. Roger and I went. And when Elaine and I first came back from down south, every Christmas they made sure they called us and took us out to dinner. The thing with me is that I knew how to do battle with Guy, I knew how to do battle with those who saw me as the enemy. And you have to know how to do battle. And Jesus is teaching his disciples how to do battle with their enemy. But he had to first get them to the point that they could love one another before he sent them anywhere else. And the thing he does, he teaches. He teaches. He teaches. Well, we'll pick up next week what else has to take place. Because what we want to see is the two ministries of Jesus. His disciples, as I call the church, and then the community side, ministering in the community. He does them both. He does them both. There are those people are going to be close to you, That you should be discipling. That you should be working with. You should be adding to their life. And there are those people out here that are not close to you, but you ought to be sharing the gospel with them. That they become what? Closer to you. That you can share it. And you can do ministry with. See, God saved you for a heavenly divine purpose. He did not save you just to sit you down in a church and do nothing. He saved you that you could impact your family. He saved you that you could impact your neighbor and those people around you. He saved you that you might even win your enemies. He saved you, that you could be a part of the team that takes this gospel throughout the world. He saved you for a divine purpose. But the only way that you demonstrate that you've really been saved is by being involved that gives a testimony that God is working in me as I do his will and do his work. It shares to other people what is most important is that I'm obedient to my God. That I'm obedient to, never be obedient to a pastor. Never be just obedient to elders just out of sake of who they are. You do it because of what you see in them in the obedience of following after Jesus Christ your children will follow you because they see your obedience to the Lord when they catch your obedience when your neighbors see your obedience when your coworkers see your obedience That's the impact that only God can reveal in the lives of those who you are ministering to. Father, we thank you that as we look into the life of Christ and see his ministry, help us to pick it apart. Help us to be able to see what he's doing with his disciples, but yet doing in the community at the same time. That yes, he spends special time with them in prayer. He spends special time teaching them. But yet, he's in the community healing because he defines his ministry as those who have...